This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information and answers all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you on this June 25th, sunny Saturday, for our 90th consecutive program since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. And it has been an interesting voyage through time as we've gone through this pandemic, because it's alerted us a lot to what public health is all about. I think that all of us who have paid attention and certainly people who listen to this program are a little bit better off in terms of our understanding of public health and it's certainly infectious disease, right? It, although there are certain things we always took for granted in terms of hand washing and social distancing, um, I think that this pandemic has really re-emphasized those. And we've spent a lot of time on the utility of using a mask, especially if you want to avoid any respiratory type of contagious disease. So any airborne infectious disease. So uh, I think that in many respects, we have really evolved from that standpoint. And We have been talking on this program a lot about, in the last few weeks, about public health in general. And as we've said, it it really is an organized community effort to make things safer for all our citizens. And it's important for us to really kind of branch out a little bit in terms of other topics. Matter of fact, uh, last week I had the honor of recording a podcast for MD Advantage, one of our partners on this program. Um, You hear about them. They provide medical malpractice insurance for physicians. But in addition to doing that, they also provide a lot of public information. And I recorded a podcast with them about persistent symptoms after concussion. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of organizations working in the same direction to try and make things safer for everyone. So in addition to infectious disease, we talked about public safety, things like seatbelts, right? We've talked about smoking, right? I mean, really, when we started putting the Surgeon General's alert on cigarette packets in the 60s and restricting places where you could smoke so that you protected people from secondhand smoke, Again, we have seen a decline in the number of cases of lung cancer. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that because there's still some problems in that area. And as we talked about last week, we talked a bit about gun violence with Dr. David Shapiro, who is a trauma surgeon and chief medical officer at St. Francis Hospital. Today, our guest is going to be Dr. Michael Rajkumar. And we're going to get back to infectious diseases with him. 
He is an infectious disease specialist at Hartford Healthcare at Bacchus Hospital. He's a frequent guest on our program because he's my go-to guy, right? Everybody has a go-to guy or gal, your go-to person. And in this case, it is Mike Rajkumar, um, who I call or text when I have a question regarding a member of my family or myself. So Dr. Rajkumar is going to come on, and he's going to talk about monkeypox. I've gotten a lot of questions regarding monkeypox, so I've tried to consolidate those in the questions I'm going to ask him. As you know, monkeypox is now in 24 states, 143 confirmed cases. So we're going to spend some time talking with him in the second half of our program today. When we get back to COVID-19, the Connecticut positivity rate this week, the seven-day average was 8.15%. We have been at that level for quite a few weeks, uh, and it's been pretty steady at that. And as we've mentioned before, that's a low rate. Really, that's a deflated rate because it does not include positive tests that are done at home. Those are only the PCR or other laboratory tests that are positive. So it's been holding at 8.15%. Here in Connecticut, we passed a sad milestone this week with over 11,000 deaths in Connecticut that were in some way associated with COVID-19. And we always re remember those souls. In the United States, over a million people, now a million fourteen thousand eight hundred and thirty-five. Many of us who are regular listeners to the program, many of you folks remember when we were talking about maybe we're going to get to 40,000 deaths. And here we are, well over a million. But here's something that's this week that I'm not sure how to take, and that is the state of Connecticut is now decided to stop recording daily numbers for COVID-19 uh, and publishing them. Instead, they're going to do it once a week, and that's fine. Every Thursday, the new numbers will come out for the seven-day average. And the reasoning is because it's apparent that COVID is here to stay. And that's, that's kind of sad. Uh, in the sense that we now have to resign ourselves to living with this problem and have had to adapt. I mean, change is always perceived as a loss. So there are some benefits in terms of our health, but when you look at it, it's a, everybody just shrugs and says, okay, that's it. And we have to remain mindful of the ways to protect ourselves if we don't want to become infected. I think we've done a great job with keeping people from dying now and keeping them out of the hospital with vaccines and with medications like Paxlovid. But by the same token, we need to remain mindful because it is here to stay. Last night, I was at uh, the Mixed Martial Arts uh, show at Mohegan, where I work and do the pre-fight physicals on Thursday, and then we had the fights last night. And when I first started doing these, at the beginning of 
COVID. At the beginning of the pandemic, when everybody moved into Mohegan Sun, we were doing fights every week. And then when the vaccine came out, virtually none of the fighters would get vaccinated. Now, you have to understand that most fighters get their medical advice in a gym. Okay, somebody in the gym knows more than everybody else. But I was happy that when I was doing the physicals, so many more are vaccinated now. So uh, I think that we're getting through to people. If you can get through to uh, people who are fighters, I, I think we're, we're making some progress. So uh, I think that the vaccination rate is gradually going to increase as we get good information out there as we do on this program. This date in medicine is June 25th, 1824. Dr. Pierre-Paul Broca, who was a French surgeon, was born. Now, Dr. Broca is known for a lot of things, but the thing he's known best for is his description of aphasia, or as he called it, aphemia. And that is the inability to understand or communicate through speech. In his case, Broca... Well, when we look at aphasia, right, and a lot of people are hearing this word now. Uh, Bruce Willis was just described as having uh, aphasia. And uh, there are two types. There's fluent aphasia, where you can speak, but your problem is understanding concepts, understanding commands, or looking at a picture and not understanding what that is. Or there is a non-fluent aphasia, also called Broca's aphasia, and that is where someone cannot enunciate words. Where we see this most common is in stroke, right? We've all seen people at stroke who have this struggle of trying to speak. And that's where we get into the concept of aphasia. And it was really Dr. Broca who isolated the area of the brain um, where much of this is from. But more recently, and I would say over the course of the last 30 years or so, we, we have resigned ourselves to the fact that we could fix that. I mean, with physical therapy, with speech pathologists doing careful analysis and speech therapy to follow, um, people can regain some of that speech. So it's important that we remember Dr. Broca today. We're going to take a short break. Then we're going to be back to talk about a couple of different issues uh, facing us in public health. Uh, and then in the second half of our program, we're going to chat with our guest, Dr. Michael Rajkumar. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And this week we heard a lot about vaping, right, the Juul Company. And their products were ordered to be removed from the market. I understand today that they appealed that. And we are waiting to see what the result is. But when I see something like that, I think, well, let's talk a little bit about vaping and what it is. It's, it's an odd term. And, and vaping is basically a delivery system designed to introduce drugs to the respiratory system. Right, so that they could be absorbed through the lungs. So when we think about drugs coming into the 
respiratory system. A lot of people who have asthma and other respiratory conditions use things like a nebulizer, right, that you use. And um, that's designed to really administer really life-saving medications to people with chronic respiratory problems, whether it be uh, asthma or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And some of the drugs are steroids or bronchodilators, things to kind of open up the bronchial so that you can get more oxygen into the human body. Another mechanism for introducing drugs is smoking, smoking cigarettes, right? It introduces nicotine. Um, you could use it to introduce marijuana or anything else you want to smoke um, by lighting it up. And with that, again, you're administering a drug into the respiratory system and the human body. And smoking came under heavy regulation uh, when it was really found that companies were being less than honest with what they were, the drug they were putting in there. And there were ways of altering the nicotine to make it more habit-forming and making it harder for people to quit smoking. And naturally, in the 1950s, there was an analogy and the direct correlation made between smoking and lung cancer. And now we're talking about vaping. So vaping is just another way of introducing a drug into the human body and through the respiratory system. Uh, in some cases, it's nicotine. Others, it's marijuana. It uses a type of heating element as opposed to smoking, although I think they're very much analogous. But what happened was this week, the Juul company did not fully disclose what was in their product. And therefore, it was a safety issue. Okay, so there's the question of how safe is this? And it was deemed by the Food and Drug Administration, the people we put in charge of this, to protect us, to say, time to stop, regroup. Now, some of the people who defend vaping always say, well, it helps adults quit smoking. And that's somewhat controversial. There have been studies. There were some studies done in the U.K. that said, yes, that it does help people quit smoking. In the United States, the studies haven't found vaping to be any better than using a patch, using gum, or using a medication. And what we've seen is an increased number of people who may not otherwise have begun to smoke start vaping. And where we see this more is among teenagers. This is the scary part to me of this whole story. The part that should alert us is teenagers. So teenagers from grades 6 to 8, 11.3% of them now use tobacco. In grades 9 to 12, 34% are using tobacco products. And the overwhelming majority of this is through these vaping products. Grades 6 to 8? I mean, that is really young um, to be thinking about using these products. So my point is that Again, it's a public health issue. We rely on people to direct us 
And as individuals, we really have to know what we're putting in our body, whether it be food, medication, or something you're administering through your lungs. Uh, the next thing I want to touch on was it keeps coming up is gun violence. Last week, as I mentioned, we spoke to Dr. David Shapiro uh, about this. But, you know, aside from the issue with assault rifles, I mean, we've established that there's no reason for an individual to own an assault rifle. None. Uh, this is a, a military or police type of a weapon. But what we're seeing in Hartford just this week in the Hartford area and throughout Connecticut is an escalation of disputes that leads to gun violence, right? There was one story uh, in Hartford where it was an argument over a dog. Suddenly somebody takes out a gun, shoots the other person. We had an infant get killed, a two-year-old. Again, it may have been an accident. Uh, a young man was either showing off or doing something with a handgun, a teenager, and killed an infant. And we see problems with road rage all the time. Right? Somebody cut somebody off, honked at them. But the Supreme Court has gone in another direction. They've, this is a group of people that's clearly lost touch with current events. So we have increased gun violence. And they say that in New York City, you're allowed to carry a concealed weapon. I mean, in Texas, for example, you don't even need a permit to carry a gun or to own a gun. But in the state of Texas, there are more policemen shot than any other state in the country. I, I just, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around what's going to happen in New York City. Uh, maybe the Supreme Court justices need to ride the subway sometime. Uh, I, I used to ride it every day to school. And there's all kinds of disputes happening. Somebody beat somebody else out for a seat. Somebody doesn't like the way somebody else looked at each other. I mean, I could see this already now allowing people. Now, you might say, well, people are carrying guns there already. Well, that's against the law. Okay, and, I, and that's a strict deterrent. You go to jail. There's no fine for that. But now you're allowed to carry a gun on the subway. And there are a lot of mental health issues on the subway. If you've ridden the subway, okay, there are a lot of people with mental health issues, and they ride the subway all day. So sadly, once again, and I won't get into the other issues, but it appears that the people we've elected to protect us are not doing their job. And we need to be mindful of gun violence and being around handguns uh, in our community. With that, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Michael Rajkumar. We're going to be talking about monkeypox. If you have questions, I'm not taking any live questions today, but if you have questions for me, you can reach me at info at alessimd.com. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome our guest today, Dr. Michael Rajkumar. Dr. Rajkumar is a board-certified specialist in infectious diseases. He practices at Hartford HealthCare at Bacchus Hospital in eastern Connecticut. And 
wanted to get him back on. As I mentioned, he's the go-to person um, for this program and for me in particular when it comes to uh, questions of infectious disease. So I thought it was worth getting him on after so many questions uh, sent over to me at info at alessimd.com regarding the topic of monkeypox. Mike, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Tony. As always, my pleasure. Well, Mike, let's start right from the beginning. What is monkeypox? So monkeypox is a viral infection. It is a zoonotic infection. That means it is spread from an animal to humans, uh, but it also can be spread from human to human. Uh, originally, uh, it was discovered in uh, monkeys in 1958, and uh, uh, predominantly it is uh, you know, noted to be in Africa, Central and uh, West Africa. Um, you know, human cases have been noted since 1970, um, sporadically, we have had travelers uh, getting the infection uh, outside of the uh, endemic areas. Uh, it is, uh, it's a virus that belongs to the same family that caused smallpox, smallpox virus and cox, uh, cowpox virus. So the presentation is pretty similar to that, though it is of less intensity or less severe. So it is an infection with a rash. So let's back up. It, it, my understanding is it didn't start in monkeys, though. It, it was just first found in monkeys. Is that true? It is correct. Nobody really knows what is the true uh, reservoir for this uh, virus. Uh, it is present in many uh, animals, rodents, uh, and non-human primates. But the actual reservoir and how it is sustained in the animal uh, population is not well understood. So, Mike, uh, just to we understand the baseline here, it's a virus. That means going to your doctor and saying, I want an antibiotic for this isn't going to work, correct? I want to make sure Absolutely. that's understood because people always want a Z-pack, right? And that's not going to do you any good here. Absolutely. It is a viral infection, and besides, there's really no treatment for it. Um, you know, that is available for um, everybody and anybody. So currently it's been found in 24 states, uh, the latest data I have, 143 confirmed cases. Um, is this a public health emergency? Is it a concern? Uh, how, how concerned should we be? So CDC is... Uh, just monitoring this with concern, and uh, they feel that it is not a, it's a low risk for general population. And when you ask WHO, they always consider this as a, a disease of concern in the sense of the global concern because travelers can you know, bring it to non-endemic areas. Uh, so at the moment, it is not considered as any sort of an emergency yet. But, you know, as you know, with the, uh, uh, medicine, things can change, and uh, we will know if anything changes. Mike, you mentioned cowpox and smallpox. Is it in any way related to chickenpox? No, absolutely not. They are not. They are not in the same genus. They are completely two different uh, viruses. However, sometimes the the rash may, you know, mimic. You know, the they go through stages. So it can appear similar. Okay. Okay. 
So you mentioned that there was no treatment. We already said there was. You don't give an antibiotic, but so what should so well? First of all, how does somebody present with this? We know that there are some skin lesions, but other than that, do they have a fever? Do they think they had COVID? I mean, how how does a patient look? Or how do they start becoming suspect? Okay, so like any viral infection, there is always going to be a prodromal symptoms, and that often is you know the same flu-like symptoms like fever, headache, body ache, uh, sometimes ultra or tar, you know. So, yes, it is uh, somewhat similar to uh, whether you call it COVID now or influenza, you know, uh, that type of symptoms. Uh, however, um, you know, you have to have the epidemiological link to someone. Not everybody who has a flu-like symptom has monkeypox. Um, so the one of the things that is um, unlike others is, there is lymph node enlargements that can occur, uh, followed by the rash. So the rash is kind of typical in the sense it it usually starts within five days from the fever. Um, And the rash, in the typical case, it is, uh, you know, central, that is, uh, in the face, and sorry, face and the extremities more common than the trunk. It can involve the mouth, it can involve the genital area, stuff like that. But what is now recently with this outbreak that we have, um, it is seen somewhat in a cluster of people who are men who have sex with men or considered as bisexual. And they have presented not atypically in the sense just having lesions in the perianal area or the genitalia and not gender, not necessarily having this prodromal symptoms like fevers and malaise and stuff like that. So, yes, this is going to be a little tricky uh, in the sense you have to have high suspicion here if somebody presents with rash. And the important uh, thing is to have the epidemiological link, have they traveled. Unfortunately, right now, there are 47 countries that have uh, monkeypox going. Uh, top of the list is England. And, uh, you know, we also, uh, I think today it was reported we have 200 cases in the country. So uh, it's kind of spreading. Uh, And, uh, yes, we need to be concerned. As physicians, we need to be concerned and be, uh, you know, able to recognize and ask the right questions and do the right thing. So you mentioned a little bit uh, how it spreads, uh, at least in men. Uh, but uh, so this is not respiratory born. It's only through contact that you get monkey. Pox? No, no. So it, it is OK. The transmission is by direct contact to the lesions, whether it is in the animal or humans, direct contact. Also, fomites like the secretions, if they were onto a linen and somebody uh, takes the linen or touches the linen, that can also transmit. But respiratory secretions, yes, but not in the traditional sense like the COVID or uh, uh, that is the airborne. It is more of what we call droplet. That means it can stay in the air, but it does not linger on. It drops off. So it can fall on things and you can touch it and get it. If you have to actually get it from someone through respiratory, it has to be a long contact, your close face-to-face contact for several minutes or hours that, you know, 
then you can get it. But it is not like uh, like uh, respiratory aerosolization. That is, you just walk by a door or something. You know, you could still have uh, the virus uh, uh, hanging in the air, and you can get it. Uh, so, do you think some of the things we've now started doing with COVID, uh, and it's probably more of a general question, but at least with monkeypox and other things, do you think from some of the things we've now assumed we should do? in the face of COVID, like social distancing, washing your hands, um, wiping things down. Is that going to help us with monkeypox as well as other infectious diseases going forward? Uh, I think absolutely that, you know, uh, hand washing is uh, every infectious disease doctor's uh, pet peeve. Um, You know, that is uh, absolutely a must. And social distancing, um, I think for the moment, it is here to stay for a little bit. Um, but in, especially with monkeypox in particular, um, I think hand washing is helpful, but more than anything else, it is uh, close contact. So here we are talking about intimate contact. And so that is where this will lead, you know, who you are in contact with matters. Okay, so if someone in your home has monkeypox, what do you have to do to isolate them? Obviously, uh, towels, things like that, mm-hmm. bed sheets. Give us some indication. So if somebody has or suspects they have monkeypox until they can get uh, care, what kind of precautions should they be doing to avoid spread to other members of the family? So as soon as, uh, you know, the, the infectious period is uh, uh, from the time your uh, the the fever illness starts until everything is crusted off and healed. So during that period, they need to be isolated and they should be in a room and uh, anyone who is in contact with them should wear a mask, of course, a KN95 mask and uh, good hand washing and all the uh, stuff that they use has to be uh, collected uh, you know, properly and uh, cleaned. Is there a vaccine? Should we be looking for a vaccine or trying to get vaccinated, especially if you're at an at-risk population like you mentioned? So specifically, the, there's no specific vaccine for monkeypox. The vaccine that we have is for smallpox. So smallpox being, you know, uh, the same in the family, uh, the people, when we had the smallpox vaccine, People who receive smallpox vaccine, they still have immunity against monkeypox. Um, so we always had one vaccine that is, uh, you know, reserved for certain high-risk folks and military, and that was a live vaccine, live replica- replicating vaccine that has been always there. But more recently, there was a non-replicating viral vaccine has been approved by uh, uh, ACIP. It is available, but again. These are only, it's not available for everybody. It is only uh, available for high-risk population, like certain folks who work with viruses in, you know, labs, as well as some military folks. But if, uh, this is more for pre-exposure prophylaxis, and um, if a situation arises, um, I'm sure it will be made available for people with high-risk exposure. When did we stop vaccinating for smallpox? 
I think it is 1980 that it was stopped um, across the globe, um, and uh, no more cases after that. Do we stand the chance uh, for that to come back as well as uh, now that we're seeing monkeypox and and things like that? Uh, are, are we are we in kind of a bad trend? Do you think overall, Mike? Uh, I don't think so. These are. Um, you know, this is monkeypox is known to have, you know, known to ca- cause human illness, and mostly it was from those endemic areas. But this is an ongoing investigation, and really at this point, uh, WHO or CDC have not yet come to understand how these clusters are happening in different parts of the world, unrelated to travel. And also unrelated to some of the, you know, uh, contact with the index cases that we originally thought were the source. Um, but I don't think smallpox is going to come back unless there is, you know, you know exposure from a lab or something. I don't think it is something that we should worry about. Okay. How, how high a level of fear should we have of monkeypox? As I said earlier, CDC considered this to be a low risk for general population. Yep. So, yeah, we should be somewhat con- concerned, but uh, I don't think we need to be fearful of this at this point. But as I said, um, you know, there are a certain groups. I mean, there's a little, as I said, there is a cluster of these cases noted in uh, men who have sex with men. So. If they, the, if you are in that population, you need to be careful in your uh, contacts. And uh, there are some people who use apps and you know other things to meet people. You have to be careful. And if ever there was any suspicion of contact with someone who might have had a rash, you need to make sure that you uh, seek help immediately. Go to your primary care. Inform them about the first thing. You, I mean, we all would like to know if someone has a suspicion that they might have come in contact with monkeypox, it is important that they inform their care provider, their doctors, or whoever they're going to visit, that they do suspect this so that appropriate you know, measures can be taken by the uh, providers as well. And if there is a rash, and certainly that needs to be sampled. So all the uh, state um, uh, health department um, have sent uh, information to all the doctors and facilities around the state how these uh, lesions need to be sampled. It's a uh, you know, dry sample, just uh, you know, take samples of it, don't put it in any viral media, send it over to them, and they do the initial testing, and if it is positive, then they send it to CDC. So, of course, we need to, you know, people who, there is 21 days, 21 days is sort of the incubation period, so if you are uh, someone who either traveled to one of these countries or came in contact with some animals in, you know, uh, in the African countries or you had contact with someone who uh, subsequently had a rash or something that you suspect that they had, I think those are uh, cases where you need to make sure that uh, you watch for symptoms. Number one, that is the febrile illness with lymph node enlargement. And uh, if anyone has fever, and they should isolate themselves, and then 
If they develop a rash within five days, then I think it is more likely that this is monkeypox and then they need to contact uh, their care provider and, uh, you know, get the sampling done. Uh, there are information available for doctors to, you know, what number to call. If there are any questions regarding how to get the samples, it's all available online and our DPH has all the available, you know, information. So <clears throat> that needs to be done. So from the general public view, I think they have to be vigilant if they suspect that they have come in contact with, uh, you know, someone who might have had monkeypox. Be vigilant, contact uh, your care provider. That's it. Mike, I got to ask you a personal question, and that is you talked about at-risk populations, uh, especially among providers. But I don't know of anybody who has treated more COVID cases than you have in the hospital, in the ICU, in the emergency room. And on top of that, you're always around treating people with infectious diseases. How do you stay safe? I mean, I, I, and, and I've been with you. I've watched, wash, watching you wash your hands is inspiring, okay? Um, but other than that, how does a doctor like you, who's around these infectious diseases, keep themselves safe? There is no sure way of protecting yourself from infections, Tony. You know that uh, uh, it is, you know, we take our, you know, uh, work uh, seriously. And uh, I'm not the only guy who sees, you know, there are many, many infectious disease doctors who uh, see a lot more cases than me. And, you know, who some of them have uh, acquired uh, COVID and may have uh, lost their life. So, you know, that's a risk that we take, but, you know, there are precautions we take. That is, you know, that, you know, uh, always washing your hands before and after seeing a patient in the, in this day and age, still continuing to wear a mask, appropriate masking, uh, you know, N95, as it um, the case may be, um, you know, other protective uh, equipments that we wear, gowning and gloving and all that. I think that is what we can do. And uh, beyond that, um, you know, it's not in our hands. Mike, thank you. Thanks, my friend. Thanks for sharing your knowledge with us, and thanks for everything you do in our community. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you, Tony, as always. All take right. Care. We're going to take a short break. Then we're going to be back um, with a few points uh, to close our show. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. <laughs> We're back on Healthy Rounds. And just in wrapping up our show, I heard a story this week, uh, and it was on the news. It was a story about Chris Everett, the tennis player, and how when her sister passed away from ovarian cancer, um, she and her entire family got tested, and it was found that she not only had the gene, the BRCA gene for ovarian cancer, but underwent surgery to have her ovaries removed and, and was found to have cancer. Um, I want people to understand a lot of times when we hear the word genetics and genes and RNA and DNA, everybody panics. But again, this is an example where uh, lives are being saved by the technology of looking at genetics of a person and specifically of a tumor, and specifically in the case of cancer. So I want everyone to really have an open mind to new science that's coming out. 
I want to thank my guest today, Dr. Michael Rajkumar, who we spent a lot of time with talking about monkeypox. Many thanks to our studio producer, Tom Conley Wilson, has been on the board. Jeff Chandler's in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. Um, as always, I'll be taking your questions uh, during the week at info at alessimd.com. You can uh, get the Healthy Rounds podcast if you missed any part of today's program. Download it from wherever you get your uh, your podcast. Next up on WTIC is going to be Law Talk with Attorney John Matulis. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.